0: Hi Claude, good afternoon, good morning for you, as in Canada, it's around nine o'clock, something like this. And uh, I have the pleasure to introduce to this audience uh, Claude Schreyer. who is a sound media artist. Uh, He has been arts administrator and cultural worker. Uh, He has worked uh, for a long time uh, as a strategic advisor in Canada for the Canada Council for the Arts. And then he composed uh, uh, also several pieces uh, of soundscape composition, collaborating with uh, Raymond Murray Schafer and others. And uh, lately, If I can say, maybe Claude can correct me, but uh, uh, Claude Charaillet started a uh, strong interest uh, trying to crossing also some Zen disciplines and, and uh, philosophy and thinking uh, and meditation and uh, uh, some sounds, scape themes also around the podcast, uh, which is named conscience, I think. And uh, but I think the better thing is leaving him uh, the space to speak. Okay, thank you to be with us.
1: Good morning. Uh, bonjour. So welcome to this presentation called Radical Listening as Climate Action. Um, it's 7.35 actually here in Vancouver and the sun is just getting up. Um, I know you've already had a long day of presentations and deliberations uh, in, in Blois, where you are in France. So I'll, I'll be very short in my presentation because I'm interested in interaction with you. Je vais parler en anglais, mais si vous avez des questions en français, ça me ferait plaisir de vous répondre. Um, I'd like to just to let you know that I'm recording this for my, my podcast. This will be episode 75. It's actually going to be published later today because I, I publish them now the day that I record them. Um, and so I, I hope you're okay with that. If you don't want to be recorded during the questions, uh, just, just let me know. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is that the, my theme this season is radical listening and so I prepared this presentation to give you some examples of of my thought as it is now but it's it's evolving every day it changes as as it does in the arts and cultural sector we learn things and we evolve Um, and I want to start by uh, a land acknowledgement I'm speaking to you from the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people here in Vancouver uh, what is called Vancouver and those are the Musqueam, the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh nations. And it's I'd like to acknowledge these nations as the traditional keepers of these lands and to reiterate my commitment to Indigenous people as an ally. So thank you for the introduction, Stefano. Uh, some of you might know me. I'm a composer by training, and I worked in acoustic ecology mostly in the 1990s. We helped set up the World Forum for Acoustic Ecology in 1993 in Banff and I did that work until I worked with Canada Council and and just last year I retired at 60 in part because I wanted to put more time on art and the climate emergency. Uh, So one of the things we've done here in Canada is set up a new organization called SCALE, the Sectoral Climate Arts Leadership for the Emergency, which is an example of the type of collective action that the symposium has suggested we all need to undertake. So I can talk a bit more about that later, but... I, I'm really honored to be here today because uh, when I read the description for Unheard Landscape Symposium, I think you are what, what we would call here emergency mode. Um, uh, you understand that we're in a climate crisis and you're asking questions such as how does our changing soundscape, uh, what does our changing soundscape sound like in the, in today in, on our endangered planet. And, and importantly, what's it going to sound like in the future? What is the future of listening? And I just heard uh, Chris speak about some of those issues and talk about Andrew McCartney and Hildegard Westerkamp. So thank you very much for, for though all the things that you have done around uh, listening and the climate emergency. And unfortunately, things are going very badly. Emissions in the world are going up. Uh, COP26 is starting just a few days uh, north of you in Scotland. And um, so these are tough times. Um, I want to thank Stefano and the FHL Forum for for this. And I hope uh, you will be able to talk now and after about these issues. So I want to start with the story. I'm not really a storyteller, but I love the form of storytelling. So here we go. Once upon a time, there was a workshop called Reality Extinction Grief and Art at a festival somewhere in Europe. The audience was mostly professors, composers, and music students from around the world. The theme of the festival was soundscapes during a pandemic. The composer talked about the issues that kept him up at night, including the climate crisis, uh, civilization collapse, uh, ecological grieving, and how the arts and culture could contribute to these uh, issues. During the question and, period, uh, question and answer period, uh, there was a lot of intensity in the room, and I'll give you a few examples. Uh, one participant asked uh, how to deal with the rise of fascism and the possibility of war as the climate crisis worsened and resources became more scarce. That person was terrified, I think, uh, saying that. Another person talked about uh, how to address the disabilitating sense of sadness that comes from environmental loss. How do you work through that and get to a more positive space? Somebody else uh, at one point suggested that maybe we should stop printing our programs and use more electronics, uh, which was, uh, you know, a good idea, but uh, somebody said we need to go much, much further than that. Uh, And one participant, and this one really caught my attention, proposed that from now on we should consider all music as acoustic ecology. All music as acoustic ecology. Now, of course, this is a true story. It happened uh, on April 23rd at the Beast Feast 2021 festival on the theme of recalibration under the direction of Dr. Annie Matani that was at the University of Birmingham. And I gave this workshop at that time because I wanted to raise the the issues with my peers. Uh, other electroacoustic composers and soundscape artists. And uh, I, we can continue that dialogue today and hopefully in other times because we really need to talk about these issues. And I'd like to, to go, go a bit deeper now on the idea of music as acoustic ecology. I, I realize it's a provocative proposal, but let's, let's think about it. So acoustic ecology is defined as the relationship mediated through sound between all living beings and their, and their environment. The concept was essentially developed right here in Vancouver at the World Soundscape Project in the 70s by a composer, R. Mary Schaefer, and colleagues at Simon Fraser University. And one of their goals was to point out that the world was out of balance and that we needed to listen much more carefully to our environment and to respond to those issues through deep listening and heightened environmental awareness. Of course, you all know about this. Music is defined as the art of arranging sounds in time through melody, harmony, rhythm, and timbre. We also know this. But there's no mention of environment in the definition of music, except maybe for timbre. So what's the connection between these two? And why should we consider music as acoustic ecology in any way? So here's a theory. Um, What I think that person was saying is that music, in the context of the ecological crisis and the climate emergency, needs to to take place in relation with all living beings and their environment. So in other words, music should not be separated from its context. It never should have been. For example, if the world is on fire and music, and all our forms for that matter, should emerge from and engage with that reality, often in ways that we haven't even imagined yet, which is more or less the title of this conference, which is Unheard Landscapes. Things that we haven't thought about yet, but when we put ourselves in that context, we we start to uh, become much more aware of. So you know, I had, I was thinking this morning that there's a, a metaphor to be done about you know fiddling while Rome burns, but I won't I won't get into that now. So I'm curious to know what you think about these issues in just a minute. I I'm going to share my screen now and um, play an excerpt from my website. Um, uh, it's Annie Matani who uh, I just mentioned earlier, and she is talking about uh grief and uh listening. So let's just listen to Annie. If we can
2: find ways to encourage people to listen, that can help them to build a connection to the you know, even if it's to a small plot of land near them, but helping them to to have a new relationship with that, which will then expand and help hopefully to have a, a A deeper and more meaningful relationship with our natural world and small steps like that even if it's only a couple of people at a time that could spread and and i think that you know nobody no one person is going to be able to change the world but that doesn't mean we should give up
1: you see that annie is talking about the local and uh listening not just with our ears but with our hearts in order to move forward even if the future looks really bleak and unfortunately it does and he reminds us that we should never give up uh, and we we should try to uh, leave a livable world for our children and their children so one of the issues that's raised by this symposium is collective actions and how do we do that in our soundscape community with something as massive and amorphous as the the climate emergency some would say it 's invisible or unheard of, but it 's actually all around us if we pay attention so there 's different ways to approach this. Uh, some are working on mitigation, so they 're creating soundscape compositions to raise people' awareness people 's awareness. others are working on adaptation how to uh, adapt to our damaged world and live with these new circumstances through compositions and soundscape uh, work, and others are working on regeneration so what Uh, how can we imagine a different world and uh, what does it sound like and how can we uh, anticipate uh, the regeneration that's required for us to continue to live on this planet? And and these are admittedly complex and uncomfortable uh, uh, issues. And what I've noticed is a lot of people feel a lack of empowerment around the issues. They don't know what to do. And so they live in a type of denial not Not a sort of intentional denial, but a sort of denial where they don 't feel they have any other choice and and they live also with a kind of uh, deep uh, repressed sadness so that, those are the issues that i'm i 'm trying to work on and i 'll tell you another short story during the the fall of two thousand and nineteen. I was at a meeting with indigenous traditional knowledge keepers, and we were sitting around a table and talking. And one representative from an indigenous organization said that it would likely take as long to resolve the ecological crisis as it did to create it. And that really caught my attention, because that's a long time. The crisis has started, you know, probably at the beginning of colonization, five, 600 years ago. So that's how long it might take to, to, to fix it, at least in North America. And so I thought, how is this possible? We don't have that kind of time. And then we all looked at each other in silence. And this is what I mean by radical listening. Radical listening to me is about stepping out of our comfort zone when we listen. Radical listening is about thinking beyond what we think we know when we listen. Radical listening is about recognizing our biases, both conscious and unconscious, It's also about uh, listening actively and sincerely. And ultimately, it's about getting to the truth and facing reality. So I'll share my screen again, and I'd like to play you another example uh, from this time from uh, a podcast uh, I recorded with a Canadian Indigenous artist named France Trepanier, and it's uh, episode 55, I believe. Yes, and this one's in French, so you can uh, listen to it, and I'll tell you a bit about it in, in a minute.
2: Je pense que uh, ce cycle-là uh, de, du colonialisme et de ce que ça a apporté, je pense qu'on est en train de, d'arriver à la fin de ce cycle aussi. Euh, et avec le recul, on, on, on va s'apercevoir, je pense, que ça, ça, ça est un tout petit instant dans un dans un espace beaucoup plus vaste. Euh, et on est en train de retourner à des connaissances très profondes quest ce que ça veut dire de vivre ici, sur cette planète. Ce que ça implique comme possibilité, mais comme responsabilité aussi euh, de, de, de maintenir les relations harmonieuses. Moi, je dis euh, la solution au, à la crise climatique, C'est cardiaque, ça va passer par le c'est
1: So I'll keep the scare- screen share because I'm about to play another excerpt, um, and I'm almost done here. So, thank you for your patience. What Trépanier is saying here is that she thinks that the 500-plus-year cycle of colonialism on Turtle Island, here in North America, is coming to an end, and that it's everyone's responsibility to ma- maintain harmonious relationships in their respective communities. She's also saying that we need to fall back in love with our planet in order to save it and all living beings. She said, this is the work that is ahead of us. C'est ça le travail. And I agree. So I invite us all to think about this, uh, those of you in the room here and those of you listening on the podcast. How can we maintain harmonious relationships with all living beings as an artistic and as a soundscape community. So I'd like to conclude my presentation with a proposal, and it's an excerpt from Hildegard Westerkamp, who lives here in Vancouver, and I just saw yesterday, and is doing very, very well. She said the following thing in um, episode sorry, 22 of the podcast, which was recorded in April and uh, I'll play it for you and then after that we'll, we'll have a conversation. Here we go. To
3: allow for time to pass without any action and without any solution and to just experience. And I think that slowdown is an absolute if there is any chance to survive I think that kind of slowing down through listening and meditation and through not doing so much um, I think there's some hope in that
1: So that to me is an example of radical listening as climate action uh, Hildegard suggests that we slow down that we listen more deeply and that the actions will come from that slowing down and it might seem you know, uh, uh, illogical to slow down in an emergency but I, I do think uh, that that's the way to go Um, and so I I, I leave you with uh, Hildegard's uh, suggestion and I invite any questions or comments you have uh, reminding you that uh, this is being recorded for episode 75 of my podcast so merci Stefano and everyone there, Um, any questions or comments?
0: It's uh, quite interesting to think about an action like
2: listening as an action because often when we think about listening uh, we think in a way to a passive uh, kind of action. Something which is receiving, not giving something or not changing something, just being uh, in the condition of uh, getting something from the, the world out there. And uh, otherwise we know also from a physiological basis that uh, listening is uh, an act of selection of messages uh, and uh, our body is select, so it's active and not passive. And I don't know if there is a relation but uh, it's interesting to me is, uh, first of all, it's a a way of taking uh, taking away something from a too crowded world and uh, a world which is full of things, uh, full of noise, uh, full of information, full of light, full of words, uh, the act of uh, taking something away is making space, making room for other things happening, or maybe nothing happening, but uh per se, it's in itself a kind of
0: ecological action, subtraction. It's also an old, old story, but in general, uh, I think that we can
2: affirm that uh, Listening is definitely an action and be more conscious about this than uh, as we usually do. Might, I don't know what you think about this all the other persons in the room.
1: Mm-hmm. briefly, because I'm, I'm interested in other thoughts or at least in initial reactions, but Stefano, I, I agree that a lot of what we need to do is to stop the destruction and to um, uh, take away things that are inhibiting natural processes. And the most obvious is is the, the ecological systems, so waterways, trees. If we stop cutting them and polluting them, they will flourish and uh, they will bring back life, uh, air and sounds. And, and so that's that's something that we don't think of as progress, right? We think of progress as building and new, and better, and bigger, and, and we have to find a positive way to get into a subtractive space, so that we are, we, we think of less as more, and think of quiet, quiet as an example in the sound world, but there are so many ways that we could do things less, and um, better for life for all life forms and that's why i played the example from Tr- france trepanier who's a senior indigenous artist here in canada who has a lot to say about um, uh, indigenous and non-indigenous relations and how uh, difficult they have been from the very beginning uh, in canada because of the what the europeans essentially brought uh, as an ideology so there's a conflict of ideology that needs to be resolved and yet we have so little time to resolve it. That's why I told the story about uh, that Indigenous knowledge keeper who who said it, it's going to take a long time. So we're facing uh, uh, unthinkable uh, situations, and we as soundscape artists, one of the things we can do is talk about our profession, um, because we're professional listeners, we're professional recorders, we're professional analysts of sound. And that's why I like so much the questions that you ask, you and your colleagues ask, and... Heard Landscapes is you're, you're, you're looking at unknown issues, things that we don't know about yet. I think those are the right questions to ask. And personally, I try to reduce my car- own carbon footprint. I do what I can. But I'm actually, you know, producing podcasts, using energy. So I'm aware that everything we do has a footprint. Uh, but to be aware of it is already to start to, to, to change. So listening, to me, radical listening is about listening with the intent of changing not just the intent of saying well that was nice but I'm not going to it's not going to affect me at all or that was sort of fun it's not entertainment when you receive information you take it seriously and it challenges your worldview then you you not only think about it you receive it in your body and then you start changing your behavior and even that's why I put the animatani example even the smallest things like going into a garden and talking with somebody and planting a seed Those seeds will grow. And if we all do that, and I don't mean to lecture anybody. I I know people are aware about the seriousness of the environmental issues we face. But I do think that we need as a community to to be much more uh, in climate emergency mode. There's a group here in Canada called the Climate Emergency Unit. I think everybody on the planet, in particular those uh, who have consumed more than their fair share, need to be in climate emergency mode and behave that way. You know, and so music as acoustic ecology, you know, it's an interesting idea. But really what we need is to be in climate emergency mode. Any other thoughts uh, from people in the room? I'd be happy to hear.
3: Thank you very much for your um, uh, presentation. Uh, Yes. Um I was very interested in into the um, on other things. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Could you introduce yourself just so we know who's speaking? Oh, sorry, I'm
3: Olivia. We spoke uh, earlier. I'm one uh, of the organizers. I, I work here at the school for landscape and I teach uh, history of landscapes. So yeah, basically. And thanks again. Yes, uh, I was wondering about the the way you use the adjective radical and um, do you would you make a possible connection between um radical and uh, for instance your interest for indigenous people or native people or uh, does it make sense to you because um in france and in french maybe you've heard of this there is the whole uh, uh, discussion about the radicalization radical and, stuff. and i think it's uh it's also the way you connected with emergency i think it's very interesting but i wonder if uh, you know how do you manage this uh this possible connection radical and indigenous and I'm interested in that not at all and if yes why why thanks
1: well there's lots of connections. Uh, the word radical can be used in different ways you know, but it basically uh, means uh, cutting through certain conventions and, and going to the sort of um, most basic essential element. In Canada, we have, uh, you know, there's about 15,000 years of knowledge uh, uh, in indigenous uh, communities. And colonization was about 500 of those. So that's why France Trepanier was saying um, the colonization period is starting to end. And we use the term reconciliation in Canada, uh, not unlike uh, what happened in South Africa. We had a truth and reconciliation process a few years ago, which had some positive outcomes. But we're struggling with the deep, deep issues of, of uh, how we can share this land because um, we have exploited so many. We, the non-Indigenous people, have exploited so much and have lost the trust of Indigenous people through treaties that weren't respected. So there's lots of that kind of uh, talk now, talk and action. Uh, and our government's making, I think, an effort at at addressing these issues, but it's not enough and now the population is rising and starting to demand that of not just governments, but all institutions. And so there's a, I think, a, a positive dynamic, positive or at least a forward motion in Canada around thinking about things totally differently in our relations with each other, with the land and the people, and a lot more listening going on with uh, Indigenous people. Not necessarily dialogue, sometimes it's dialogue, but it's listening. All of the, there's so many uh, interesting, interesting initiatives right now um, in, in Canada. I'm thinking of the Indigenous Climate Action Network and so many others that are doing great work. So it's really a question of listening.
3: Well, Thank you very much for this answer because um, I, I would be interested to know if, to some people, this uh, attitude uh, that you share with us today is perceived as a counterproductive, meaning that, you know, in France, if you associate yourself with a radicality at some point, you would be told that you lose the majority of the population, you know, that it's too much, it's too much excitement, too much excitement, so does this, uh, do you manage to frame it literally differently in Canada, and I would be interested to know that. And also maybe you can um, enlighten us a little bit about differences between uh, western West Canada and Quebec for instance.
1: I can't really speak on behalf of, of radicals in Canada. <laughs> there there are some very politically radical people. I'm I'm not really one of them. I'm am a consider myself a progressive. But what I'm talking about is radical listening, which is a a, a, a process, you know, and a, and hopefully it leads to radical actions. And and I use the radical in the sense that the status quo is unlivable. We we are living far far beyond our means, and so you can't sort of piecemeal or go uh, incrementally, you have to, if, you know, if, if people are uncomfortable with the word radical, you can think of other words. But I, I'm not talking about uh, only radical political action, I'm talking about radical lifestyle change, r- radical uh, rethinking. Through listening, that's my own personal point of view. Uh, Canada is a is an oil and gas producing country, so we have tremendous uh, challenges uh, with the climate emergency because a lot of our economy is based on gas and oil. So we're struggling with that. We have a new minister of environment and climate change right now, so there's, there's uh, you know that that debate is going on. Uh, your other question about Western and Eastern Canada or in Quebec in particular, there are definitely regional different regional approaches in canada right now i 'm in vancouver where there 's the david Suzuki foundation and and the world soundscape project legacy and, and lots of going uh, going on on the environmental front but in Quebec uh, you also have very strong um, environmental sensitivity you have it across Canada but in Quebec in particular you have very interesting uh, um, street movements like when the Fridays for uh, uh, the Fridays movement happened uh, in 2019 there were you know 400, 500,000 people in the streets there is the, a sense of mobilization and action uh, that we're seeing in Canada and, and Quebec is, is very good and strong at that and you're, you're seeing it also in the arts community. There's there's all kinds of organizations now that are rethinking how they work, in part because of the COVID crisis, but also because of the climate emergency. So uh, I can't get into it too much because I don't think there'll be time, but I, I mentioned this group, uh, Scale. Uh, it's an example of a national um, initiative to bring us all together in Canada, talking about the role of arts and culture in the climate emergency. And we're working with Julie's Bicycle and Creative Scotland Carbon, uh, Creative Uh, Carbon Scotland uh, in Scotland and others who are doing similar kind of work and I know that there's initiatives in Europe and in France as well and I think that's what we need to do is get out of our little silos of you know my art form and my, my interests and think broadly, work together uh, create coalitions so that there's a, a, uh, we, we can identify the things that we need, want to do together and, uh, and do them, um, as your uh, symposium has suggested, uh, as, as collective actions, because individual actions, important for the person, are not as effective as collective actions. On my website, it's easy to find uh, my email, um I think it's an ongoing conversation. I thank you. I know you've had a long day, so I'm going to go have a shower. <laughs> And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I think I appreciate your, uh, your being there, and uh, let's keep in touch.